Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. I don't have to convince any one of those eight defensive coaches how effed up I am. These players, they want to defend... Life Stadium for you guys. Right, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Joined today by longtime friend of the pod, Brian Bassett, the original founder of the Jets blog, the ultimate OG inspiration Jets blog for all of us Jets bloggers out there. So we were overdue for a conversation about all the insanity around our football team. As a friendly PSA reminder, before we jump into our convo, show is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. Please like, subscribe, rate, review. We also have a subscription podcast hosted by myself and Connor Rogers called Badlands that will have weekly episodes and a full season preview series coming out uh, in the next few weeks, that is available at turnonthejets.podbean.com. So check that out. And without further ado, let's bring Brian on. Brian, how you doing? I am great. Thank you so much for having me, Joe. It's always so much fun to talk to you and get to talk to your audience. So let's start with the Adams trade. You, you've been watching, you've been covering this team for a while. Were you... Did you have a point where you were like, okay, he's definitely getting traded and you were not surprised at all when this happened? Or were you still kind of mm. blindsided at how quick everything moved along and how quick he went scorched earth in the New York Daily and who's <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think the moment of no return for me as in, as in silly or insane as it sounds is the the clip of him driving through the parking lot and someone yelling at him like, "Come on to the Cowboys and he goes, I'm trying, man. And so, uh, or whatever that was like, I think that was the moment where I, I, it was clear to me that this was not going to be amicably, amicably resolved by him staying. And I don't know what it was about that moment. It just stuck out to me and it wasn't even that, you know, far removed from him actually being traded. But, uh, I was shocked that he did what he did in terms of all the things he said in the daily news. Um, but you know, hey, he made his point. He made his position on the team untenable with the current uh, leadership and, uh, you know, n- not just the coach, but also the GM. And so I, mean, I guess what I would say is the fact that they made the monster trade that they did, despite the fact that all, to all intents and purposes, it seemed like his position in remaining with the Jets and like on this team and actually playing this year seemed untenable. Like it was, it was shocking to me that they got the level of return that they got, especially when you put it in the context of some of the other 
big trades, you know, over the last, let's say, 18 months, Laramie Tunsil or DeAndre Hopkins or some of these other big trades and kind of what was what was transacted, what was transacted in that trade. So getting two firsts uh, for Adams plus some other pieces, that's I thought that was a pretty good deal. Um, But I don't know when what was your point of when you kind of thought it was untenable? I mean, I think once he kicked back up on social media this off season, I, mm-hmm. I figured I thought we might have had like we were past it. He didn't get traded; they would smooth things out. I didn't know if he was immediately going to get a new deal, but he was just so incessant on on Instagram mm-hmm. and on Twitter. I figured they were probably too far gone, and we kept hearing about how the Jets might be cash gra- cash trapped, or they've heard yeah. they were saying one thing and they didn't do another thing, and. I don't know. I just felt like he he's never been shy about being that if he's going to play for the Jets, he wants a certain amount of money. But if he's not going to play for the Jets, he'd be content with a different amount of money. And I also think uh, when you're that public with everything, things could expedite and move quickly. So I am very happy with the return, but yeah. I do get you also, again, we take a step back again and it's nine yeah. years without the playoffs. And here we are at this point of right. the cycle again, where, Next year will be the year where they have all the picks in the cap space. It's not going to happen this year. Because, again, I don't think they're going to be very good this year. Right. And I, I don't have any reason to believe that Joe Douglas is going to be a bad GM. I also don't have enough reason yet outside of this trade to believe he's going to be a great GM. GMs can be a bit of a crapshoot. I do feel confident that Gase isn't the right guy, and they'll probably end up moving on from him after this year. Who the hell knows, though? And then with Darnold, I love Darnold. I love his potential long term. But I do also feel like his fans – a lot of us do, and it would not be insane if the Jets are, like, not good this year and they hire a new head coach and they look at other quarterback options. And that sounds crazy, right. but when you step out of being a Jets fan, it actually isn't that crazy. How, how do you see all that playing out? No, I, I yeah, I think to start to say, yeah, I think I, I took a very transactional approach to the Jamal Adams question. Uh, and I, I do want to say, like, it very much pains me that the Jets just get in this position repeatedly with their first round draft picks over and over and over again, where um, if they're not a bust, Calvin Pryor, Quentin Copels, like whoever, right. But they're actually a good, decent player that getting to that second contract is, it's just, it doesn't seem to happen that often. Um, or if it does like that, you know, you know, AKA like a Leonard Williams kind of situation, like it doesn't last that long. And so just, they have the, this history of contentious relationships with their first round draft picks. And that really bothers me as a fan. And the fact that they can't seem to get past this or pay their players. And, you know, I mean, we can have lots of conversations about, you know, who was worth keeping, who was worth the market value for what we got at that time, you know, or whatever. But but at the same time, yeah. So that bums me out, right? And feeling like, okay, you're already giving up. And this is probably, you know, one of the top three impact safeties. I mean, he's essentially a linebacker. Um, you know, in all intents and purposes, just not the same size as a normal linebacker. Um, and so so that that bums me out. But then yes, to kind of play it towards when you see them cutting players like Brian Winters, who's, you know, marginal, probably wasn't even gonna start anyway. Um you can see they're stocking up the wood for whatever they're going to be doing next year, either that signing long-term players going out and attacking free agency again, like they did this year or, you know, some other moves, but they are, they're certainly seem to be taking attack where they're looking to weather this year. I mean, and as you go, like we're, we're taping 
um, you know, on a Wednesday night and UConn football has just, you know, quit the season already this year. So like, it's just hard to know what's happening. So it's also hard to fault their approach to say that, Hey, maybe we need to re- be more thinking about 2021 and, and your point about the, the point you made about Sam Darnold, like I'm fully supportive of that. I love Darnold. I love, you know, some of the plays he has this magical ability. We've seen, you know, the, uh, the highlights, there's just been a lot of other things, you know, that the team hasn't been as good around him. He's been pressured. So let's see what happens with a little bit more stability around him. But also, right, like Cliff Kingsbury is a great example of someone who had a first first rounder, I think. Yeah, was Rosen a first rounder the prior year? Second, second round. First yeah, round. first rounder, yeah. Um, and, and so, so he, he came, came in. He had that. That was a you know, sunk cost as far as he was concerned. And he just moved on, right? He, he traded away Rosen and he brought in, you know, his guy, Kyle Murray. Um, and, you know, and I, I'm not going to fault Kingsbury for that, but at the same time, it's just this idea of, you know, as a fan, how many rebuilds do we do before we actually, you know, get to the, the promised land? Like, we're just, are we just going to keep wandering around the desert? What, what are we doing here? Right, Joe? Yeah, I mean, what? Yeah, what is the bigger overarching plan? And it's even more muddled, I feel, than it usually would be because of the ownership situation. Mm-hmm. Where Woody is technically Woody's the owner. You have Chris Johnson in this interim role. It's been a few years now. Is Woody coming back in November? Uh, if he does, is he still going to step down because of what has been reported about him? Um, obviously some, you know, very negative and troubling things being reported about him. So is he going to try to just stay out of the limelight? And it seems like I don't see the Johnson family selling the team anytime soon, as much as Jet fans want to probably hear that. I think it would just be like, well, I'll let Chris continue to do this in an interim role. And I think, you know, you have an owner who in a perfect world, you don't want really kind of meddling or being involved with anything. He doesn't have any qualifications for it, but you know, he was from all accounts actively involved in the head coach search. He was persuaded Mm -hmm. by Peyton Manning to uh, hire um, Adam Gase, which is of course interesting. And uh, there's also, I mean, Peyton Manning does a lot of commercials, Joe, but that was the best commercial he ever did. I I, I, got to say. Peyton Manning is just royally screwed the Jets for like two decades plus here. It's just (laughs) unbelievable. Never stops. And then like, is the team cash strapped somehow? Are they constraining what Joe Douglas could do? Does he have the autonomy he really needs? That stuff is always hard to kind of like parse out what actually is going on. I, I, prior to all these Woody stories coming out, I've never been thrilled with Jets ownership, of course, but they've generally always spent money. They've never been like Mets ownership where it's like, they're not spending any money. They got the new stadium, even though the new stadium kind of sucks. They have good facilities. They've spent on free agents. It's just kind of been, I don't know, a mismanaged team that post-2010 hasn't found a way to you know get their act together. They've never hired mm. the right GM. They've never hired the right coach. But they were good for 14 years in a row from 97 to 2010. So I've seen the team be consistently good with this ownership. I don't know. Where, where do you see everything out sorting out right now at the top, top of the organization? Yeah. I look forward to watching the New York Amazon Primes in uh, in 2021 or 2022. I can't whenever, believe Woody didn't drag them out to London. I thought they were going to be playing out of Manchester or something. <laughs> I mean, I think the Prime would be a pretty pretty rocky name for you know if they're going to rebrand. Uh, I'm, I'm kidding, of course, but um, but I, I it's it's a great question, and I think when you were talking, I just had this mental image. I'm sure you've seen enough. America's, you know, funniest home videos or whatever, where someone's on the roof, 
they're jumping into the pool and like they like the worst thing you can do when you're jumping off the roof into the pool is land right on the edge of the pool. Like you don't want to be half in and half out. You want to be all in or all out, like either land on the hard ground and just take that the whole way or but do not land both in the pool and both in the ground. That's when real pain and injuries happen. And so like that's kind of the way I just feel like the last however many years have been with this team. It's just like we keep landing right on the edge of the pool and and it just it's so painful, right? And so we we keep doing this over and over and over again and we're getting the worst of it every time, every time, every time. And so I so yes, in terms of Woody Johnson, like, you know, the reports are not good. Um he's I would just, I mean, he, he's obviously done well in the business world. He parlayed this to owning the team. He certainly started on third base as a, you know, heir to the Johnson fortune. Uh, even if he was cut out, uh, you know, he still made some aggressive plays. But, you know, it's just it, like it's not all in and it's not all out. And right kind of as you said with other teams where they're just, you know, s- storing up their resources forever. And so it's so that's what's so frustrating about it. And I mean, I think the thing is, if you look at Johnson, you look at his history, you look at some of the the old New York Times articles that Greg Bishop wrote once upon a time on Woody Johnson, like he very much gives lip service to the fact that he wants to win. But I think this idea of like what it actually takes to win, I don't see it. Right. I just don't see it. And so, you know, so I yeah, I, I'm never even if I wanted an ownership change, like I just that's a it seems like an impossible dream um, because once you get one of these teams and they are, you know, their values are just, you know, rocketing up, it's really hard for a family like that to, to make a move. And it does happen, but often it's generational. Right. Um, and so we're, you know, whatever, 20 ish years in on this, I don't think they're ready to make that move. And I don't think he's ready to walk away, you know, from what might be a legacy. And, um, in terms of the ambassadorship and him coming back, I think from what I do know is it took the current administration a while to get him in place. I don't know why they were dilly dallying around on it, but there was a long time. I had a friend who was working um, in a government agency um, at that time. He was in London. He was stationed in London. He was like, when are we going to get our new ambassador? And it was a long time. Um, and so so it might not happen as quickly as November. Um, but what I would say, it's certainly not because, you know, the administration wouldn't even come in until the next year. But the but the thing about it is like that is the thing about London and the thing about the ambassadorship that he has is that is one of the most prized ambassadorships. This isn't, you know, some small nation. This is this is our most special ally, our most special you know, um, relationship that we've had, you know, the first ambassador was John Adams, right? So this is what we're talking about when we're talking about the ambassadorship of the United States to England. Um, and so, so it, it's coming, you know, if, if, if a Democrat is elected, it's coming. So you have to expect Johnson's coming home. Um, if that happens, a lot of things play out and I'm not a political science you know, strategist. So, so I don't know, but, but what I would say is if it does happen, he's coming home quickly. Um, but probably, probably very early next year. But then, yeah, the question of, I've not been impressed with Chris Johnson either. So I, you know, I, I think that Woody would take back control. Um, and I don't think he's going to yield. And I don't think 
this league and this group of 32 men um, is really going to, or 32 whatever people, there's a couple females, um, they're not going to rush him out because I don't think the stories are as bad as, uh, was it Jerry Richardson with the Carolina Panthers? I don't know that the amount of data that's collected is is as damning as that. Um, and but he's also protected from that right now in his current role. So I, I don't know if more stories come out. Certainly it, it would it would be it would make sense for the league to make make the team make a move. But right with with Chris as kind of the the human meat shield, Joe, like I guess he can just keep going. Um, and then just quickly around Joe Douglas, I like what I've seen so far. You know, he's kind of had one now full pass on this. And, you know, to see some of the moves he's made, I've been impressed with what he's done with the opportunities he's had. Um, and I can kind of trace that to, you know, what he did on the Jamal Adams trade, what he did around Denzel Mims in the second round um, and, you know, a couple other moves like that. So I like what the GM's doing. Uh, but, yeah, I I often am distracted by ownership and pipe dreams of what owners if this team ever gets sold, which is never going to happen. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Everything COVID aside, let's assume the NFL is the NFL and they are stubborn about making money and they're going to play a season come hell or high water, which I do believe they will. Absolutely. (laughs) They will get that television money. There will be 16 games played. They will play the playoffs. They will find a way to do it. They will be... Better, I think, than the MLB at it, but I'm not as good as the NBA because they don't have the luxury of the bubble. But there will be a season in my mind. So all the weirdness of they sk- will, yeah, they will trot out XFL players, yep. AAFL, or whatever those like these you know these marginal leagues. They will put whoever they can out there. It's a jersey, and they care about TV money. That's exactly. the bottom line, which, which is what drives me crazy because it's like, why are they worried about? I understand why they're worried about local merch. We can get into that in a second, but like they're chasing, like chasing the local ticket is stupid and chasing the beer, the beer concession is stupid. As, as far as I'm concerned, I think that's a waste of time because that's not where largely where their money comes from. No, so it's TV, no TV, gambling, fantasy football, all that stuff is on. If the games are on, regardless of, C.J. Mosley sitting out and other big-name players sitting out, and I'm sure there'll be more. It's going to be a very weird season. But all that aside, you know, looking at it through like, okay, it's the first week of August. We're talking about the Jets gearing up for camp and gearing up for a season. I Prior to the Adams trade and the Mosley news, most places had Jets at a about a 7 
win over under, which sounded about right to me. If you would have mm-hmm. asked me two and a half weeks ago, I would have said they're probably going seven and nine again. You ask me today, I'll say they're probably six and ten. Maybe Mosley and Adams cost them a game because again, I think the the biggest swing on their record will be the Dar- Darnold and the offense, and if they take a leap forward or not. I I guess the question is going to be. Everything, I guess, is going to be around how big of a leap does Darnold take, and if the team does not make the playoffs, how bad do they need to be to change the coaching staff? And I think everything they've done this offseason has pointed to we're evaluating everything and we're getting ready to make some much more major changes for next year. Uh, I look at their schedule. I look at their roster. feels like 6-10 and 10 or 7-9. and nine. That's kind of where I, my expectations are at. What, where are you thinking at them strictly from a football sense? Yeah, I mean, I, I always start with, and it's not perfectly indicative of what their season's going to be like, but, you know, when you have the second, like, when you have the second highest, um, you know, ranked strength of schedule, um, you know, they, they're right behind the Patriots as the first ranked strength of schedule team. You have to, you have to start, your antenna has to go up, right? Like, because... When you're when you're in the middle of the pack, when you're an eight and eight team or a six and ten or a ten and sixteen, like wherever you are, if you're kind of in that you know median, like middle middleish part of the bell curve, um, you have to look at all the little marginal you know data points to get hints on what the season's going to be like, right? So so the Jets are already. A team that you know they they had some moments last year and they've definitely upgraded their team. But you know when they're when they have a harder schedule than the Niners, the Bills, the Falcons, the Vikings, the you know Seahawks, basically everybody in the league. Uh, Ravens have the weakest schedule, by the way. Um, when you have that hard schedule, you, you can't look past that. You have to consider that. So that that for me is the starting point. And then, right, you remove a player, an impact player. Don't, don't care what position he, he's at. You move in, remove an impact player from safety who literally ripped the ball out of somebody's hands and ran it back um, last year. I mean, that happened, right? He, he polymalued like at, at least three plays last year. Um, and so you, that's an impact player who can make a difference. And then, right. That I saw people talking about, well, we're losing Adams, but like we're gaining Mosley. Well, well, apparently we're not, you know, like that, that contract is just, you might as well just burn it at this point. Cause like, I don't, you know, who knows what we'll ever get from that guy. So, so you don't, you don't have that pass, you know, that ability to rush the passer there. So those are already concerns. And while they've bettered other things, I just, yeah, I'm I'm with you. Like I think between six and eight wins, assuming they play a full season and they aren't, you know, Sam Darnold doesn't get COVID twice or something. Um, you know, that's that's where I I would expect they would they would land. Anything more than that would be pleasantly surprising. I certainly think the Patriots have helped themselves while they looked vulnerable. Once they added Cam Newton, that made them certainly more more of a threat than they were. And, you know, the bills are obviously trying to build something, um, you know, and they've, and they've added a impact player in Stefan Diggs, um, in addition to other players. So it's going to be a hard division to play. And even if Brady's not there anymore, uh, it's, it, you know, there's no, no swift path toward the AFC East championship. Uh, you yeah. know, 
I don't see it. Yeah, even with New England having this kind of wave of guys sitting out, it's just it's still the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. It's still Cam, who, if he's motivated and healthy, is dangerous. And I, I'm not going to believe New England being bad until I see them being bad. Buffalo, you know, if you put Allen aside, they have the best roster, I think, in the division. One yes. of the best rosters in football. Allen, obviously, is a massive wild card. <laughs> um, and yes. we'll probably, you know, we'll learn, just like last year, we'll probably learn a lot about both teams week one. And if I feel it's a lot like last year in that if the Jets lose week one, Things could get ugly pretty fast because I don't think they're beating San Francisco, and I think people are sleeping on how good the Colts could be this year. And all of a sudden, you're 0-2, 0-3. We're right back to where we were last year. So, again, it kind of feels like, man, they really got to win week one if they're, they're going to kind of hover around and be competitive. And we do have an extra team making the playoffs this year. So maybe there's that 8-8 that eight eight or even 7-9 and nine team who sneaks in. I, I, I don't – it'll be weird to see how, how that plays out, but – I don't know. It's been well. Yeah, and if it's going to happen, it's probably not going to happen in the the division with the toughest schedule, right? Yeah. Like, or you know, the AFC East has the toughest schedule, you know, bar none uh, in terms of any division. So it's going to be tough. Yeah, and even Miami, as we saw last year, those aren't going to be gimmies. They've added to their roster. They're a well-coached team. Maybe we see Tua. Maybe we just have Fitz, you know, running all over the place again. But. You know, this is another year, and I'm trying to think back as I've aged so much with this team. You know, 2015 was in this in this playoff draft. <laughs> I you go from I'm tracking it in my head off the top of my head here. 2011, I picked them to win the Super Bowl, and I actually felt good about it. I didn't feel like it was a yeah. homer pick. I really think they were like a Super Bowl contender, and of course, that year flamed out. 2012 was like. You have to, the year that all my denialism about them going down went out the window because that was such an ugly, disastrous year. 2013 was like, it was supposed to be the rebuild. They overachieve and go 8-8, eight and eight, but then they mislead themselves into thinking they're better than they are. 2014's a disaster. 2015's a pleasant surprise, so I get my hopes up for 2016. That's a disaster. And since then, I, you know, we knew they were trying to lose in 2017. That was like the least exciting yeah. week one game ever. I'll never forget like Josh McCown throwing passes to like Ty Hill and Jermaine Curse who uh. were acquired like a week before and that ugly loss at Buffalo. You know, 2018, you get excited about Darnold week one, excited about him overall, and then all the injuries hit and everything falls apart quick. And then last year, Gase kind of just sucks the air out of the room with your expectations, particularly with week one, and then you get the mono. So another year which feels like the – eighth of 10, 10 past years where you just – you don't really expect them to be a playoff team. I mean, again, my spit take is like, no, I don't think they're a playoff team this year. I hope they can mm-hmm. be next year with a better roster and, a, you know, another year from Darnold and a coaching staff. But, you know, for someone I'm – I'm 33 now. The bulk of when I got into the Jets and even started covering the Jets, they were a team that had this – undeserved reputation in my mind, right? They were, yeah. people would always, oh, they're a laughing stock. They're terrible, but they were good every year. They're three AFC championship right. game appearances. They were in the playoffs or above 500. I think like, I don't know, 12 of the 14 years or something like that. So it never really fit to me. But now as we get up to year 10, potentially year 11, I, I see it. It's just been crazy how long it hits. It's just them, the Browns and Bucks who have playoff droughts like this. And the Bucks can very well break that this year. And even the Browns with decent coaching, maybe have a puncher's chance. I I'm assuming that you're a little older than me. I mean, this is what mm-hmm. it was like pre 97. And how, when you look back at it, how much of a pleasant surprise in Oasis was 97 in 2010? Yeah. I mean, they, they were, they were amazing. Right. I think, yeah, as, as a kid kind of growing up and I, I kind of started following them in the, early nineties. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, it was it was some hard times, uh, certainly some hard times. And so so, yeah, when you get those moments um, and, you know, you, you definitely do appreciate them. But at the same time, like those moments only make the valleys that much more painful. And so, right, when you go from periods where like, I mean, I don't know, between 97 and 2010, they had a couple playoff appearances. I mean, think about 2004. Curtis Martin had that amazing season. They go to the playoffs. They miss, you know, to the Steelers and the kick. Um, Doug Bryan and that whole thing. And so, and then, right, it was, so that was, you know, so you have like a little bump in between there in 04. Uh, but then again, like you don't get back there until really 08, you know. I guess, well, you get 26, uh, you get 06 with Mangini and then, but you didn't really feel confident about it until, uh, especially cause after Pennington gets injured, right? Like you just don't get that feeling like, Hey, we're actually putting something together here until Rex comes in. And then, right. Like it's just, it's been, I don't know, like just, it was like so much energy and mojo just basically got sucked out of the organization in in that, you know, short window of time. Um, it's, it's not easy. And, and, and I think that's the thing for me is like, I I definitely will say, I love this team. I love following this team. And I have learned a lot in terms of, you know, what the blogging I've done and the podcasting I've done and all the things it's afforded me the opportunities to do. Um, but at the same time, like there's other things that I love and care about, uh, you know, equally or more, you know, especially watching my family grow up and, you know, investing in my, my spouse and, you know, in really investing in a, you know, in a job where I have a lot of autonomy and, um, ability to kind of influence things in, on a small team. So like, you know, <laughs> I start to put those things in the, in the context. I don't know if this answers your question. I start to put these things in the context of the larger things. And I'm like, okay, you know what? It's not as painful on Sunday when they lose, because, you know, when it's me choosing between watching the jets and lose in a, in a bar, you know, full of strangers or, or me going to watch my son play flag football, like that's a pretty easy choice for me at this point, you know, and maybe Jets fans would say like, you're not a fan. You're not, you know, like how, how dare you? It's like, well, okay, that's fine. And I'm okay with that <laughs> because, because to me, my son and watching my son grow up is more important and will always be more important than the Jets as special as winning the Jets championship would be like, he's already told me he's never going to be a Jets fan. And I'm not, I'm not trying to talk him out of it. Right. Because I, <laughs> because I've been down this road long enough that I'm not, uh, I'm not projecting that onto him. Now he chooses a new team every year. He's, uh, you know, he's like, you know, 10 years old. So he's always got some new team that he loves because they seem like they're good or they get hot or whatever. It's like, you know, he's been a Kansas city chiefs fan forever. Right. It's like, well, you really started liking him this year. Chill sure. out. So, um, so, so, so my point is like, it's easier when you get to do things like have great, trips with your spouse or um you know see your child take their first step you know makes makes the makes the valleys more more uh more palatable i guess you know i don't know what else to say uh listen i i I mean i hear you obviously i'm a a little younger in the parenthood process my kid is just turning two this september um got number two on the way this december too well here's here's the awesome advice that will give you no solace which is that someone gave me once, which is 
little kids, little problems. Big kids, big problems. Exactly. Exactly. And look, I, <laughs> it's very I might... physical, very physical, but uh, but now we're well into like emotional and who said what and how do I feel? Do I fit in at school? And uh, so, I'm tired. Yeah. I'm honestly tired just hearing about it. That's all right. It's a, it's a, it's obviously it's You'll amazing. Be ready. I'll You'll be ready. I'll be ready by then. You'll be ready when you get there. I you know again my in laws my. My in-laws are Patriot fans. My my sister-in-law was a cheerleader for the Patriots, has a Super Bowl ring, you know, from the Patriots, and I'm always getting ribbed from that half of the family. You know, uh, raise him a Patriots fan, which I would never do. Of course, I'm gonna, but we're gonna let him choose how it goes. For him. my dad's a Giants fan, I'm a Jets mm-hmm. fan, so it can, you know, I, I know it could be a different. Uh, it could skip a generation in terms of fandom, and for me, <laughs> listen again, I. I absolutely love football. I have my, you know, job with Whistle now because of Turn on the Jets, so it's right. been it's been great and I still love fighting with Jet fans on Twitter. I still love the podcasting. I still I I love watching the sport. I love watching NFL and it it sucks, you know, that the Jet games have just not been as good or as entertaining mm-hmm. and I, you know, I went to I think every home game in 2015 and it was awesome. And since then I think I've been to two home games over the past 4 years and it's just right. At a certain point when your season's over by Halloween every year and you're trotting out Josh McCown or Luke Falk or, you know, Bryce Petty, it's hard to get fired up about yeah. it. I think I tweeted this yesterday. I think I've been genuinely excited about two and a half wins for them since they beat the Patriots back in week 15 of 2015. When they beat the Lions wow. opening night with Darnold, that was great. When they beat the Bills on Thursday night early in 2016 because yes. they beat Rex, that was great. And then, like, when they beat Dallas last year, that was cool, but it was, like, they lost by 1,000 to New England five days later, so I couldn't even really, like, enjoy it yeah, that much. You couldn't savor it. You didn't have time to savor it. So good. Uh, I couldn't enjoy it. But, look, I I want I want to see this team get good again. It would be fun, yes. and I, I do hope I could have more fun watching them. But, like you said, like, I remember taking a trip with my wife shortly after we got married, and I think we were in, we were in Sonoma, and – I stayed inside on a Sunday to watch Bryce Petty lose nine six to the Rams. <laughs> and Sonoma, it's like one of the most beautiful places in the world. Uh, some of the most amazing wineries, like Sonoma. For people who've never been there, it's like imagine if Disneyland was wineries. Like it's that's just, what this place is. And it's, I th- un- it's unbelievable. It's amazing. She was like my my much smarter than I am wife was like I, I'm going out I'm going to a winery you could sit in this room and watch this horrible football team <laughs> and I did and they 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 lost 9-6 of Bryce Petty at quarterback and I think that was like a lie where I was like look I, you know what I could record the game and watch it later and if I miss a day of tweeting about it especially with Bryce Petty scoring one touchdown a game Ugh. it's okay and I'm at that point now where if the Jets are one and eight this year like I come on like I you gotta just you reach a certain point where it gets a little ridiculous, as you said. Yeah. NFL Rewind is a hell of a product. I'll just, I'll just tell you that. So, Exactly. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'll take my commission now, Roger. I'll take my commission for NFL Rewind. There it is. It is a good product. I mean, so, look, always great to talk. Let's do some kind of midseason check-in if there is still a midseason, yes. which I hope there is. And uh, one of these years we'll get out of this funk and – We'll be able to t- imagine like doing a podcast about like the AFC championship game, like breaking oh. down, like the Jets getting ready for the sure. AFC. Like that's what I want to do. That's what I'm, one of these days. 
we're 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 live in Green Bay, uh, doing a, a podcast on Radio Row. Can you imagine? One it, that is it seems so uh, far. I don't know away. if that would be a great place for uh, for a Super Bowl, but uh, but you know it's coming sooner or later. One of these it, years so. we'll be we'll be old and gray, but we'll be breaking down yeah. a, the Jets Super Bowl matchup and actually being able to talk X's and O's football. Could happen. Moon from the Moon Bowl. We'll be doing it in the Moon Bowl. Sponsored by Amazon, still. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, Brian Bassett, always a pleasure. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We will be back next week, and uh, that is a wrap for us.